Savior to save me. Jesus, you made a way.
Welcome to Christchurch. How are you doing today? Yeah, let's do it one more time because this is a beautiful fall day. How are you doing? I love it. My name is Eric. I'm the campus pastor here, and uh, I missed you last week. I was traveling for about 10 days, and I just felt so loved. So many of you were kind to send notes. I moved my daughter Sadie into her freshman year at college out in Phoenix, and I'll say a little word about that in just a moment. But before that, I was leading a retreat for pastors uh, doing soul care, a spiritual retreat in the mountains of Montana and just happening to mix uh, three days of fly fishing in with that, uh, which was phenomenal. Um, But you know, I just, it was this kind of this sense of love, right? And it was undergirded. One of our passions here is that you would just feel welcome, known, and loved. And so whether you're with us usually each week or maybe this is your first week, I hope you're sensing those words permeating through not just this place, but the people that you get to encounter with. But you know, these pastors, it was interesting, they ranged from late 20s through probably late 40s, so a little bit on the younger side of the spectrum. And uh, the statistics out right now on pastors, it's not great. <laughs> and these guys, every single one of them, uh, were filling, f- fulfilling those same statistics. They were fatigued. They were facing burnout. Uh, their souls felt dry. Some of them were asking questions, can I really continue to do this? <clears throat> and so part of what I invited them into and said for the next four days, here's what I want you to do. Will you just simply step back and will you submit yourself to an intentional journey? to allow our team that we had assembled there to lead them into some intentional growth. 
And after a few days, you started seeing signs of life. You started seeing their soul being refreshed. You saw God was actually speaking to some of them, and they were getting some clarity on vision. Uh, and as we talked about, like those streams of living water, which is easy to talk about when you're on a like actually on a Montana stream, it started to flow within them. And I just thought this is why we submit ourselves to intentional growth, these intentional journeys, which is one of our values. You see it up on the screen, but we have these six values as a church. And I would just encourage you, maybe today or in the weeks to come, pick one of these values and just sit with it, read the words, pray through it, and, and journey with it that next week. But as we enter into this fall season, now is the time to ask, how will I be intentional and in how I'm connecting with God and connecting with others so that he can form and do something in my life and in my soul that one brings these living waters out of me, um, but then also uh, intentionally positions you to grow with God and with others. As we say, it's an adventure worth every effort. And so think about that. Uh, this week and the weeks to come, um, but one of the ways that we do that is just through prayer. This is a praying congregation. I felt it while I was gone. Uh, we had a great prayer walk yesterday. Um, we just love to pray and seek God. It's one of the ways we connect. And so we're going to watch a little video here, but I would say watch it or pray along with this video as another one of our Christchurch families just prays through their neighborhood. Take a look. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to walk my neighborhood. Lord, as we walk the neighborhood today, I pray for each and every member of the community. We thank you for our community. I thank you for the families. I thank you for the children. I thank you that our neighborhood remains safe. It remains strong. I thank you, Lord, that we can connect with one another. I pray that you'll help the families around us. Help them as they make challenging decisions in this season and time. Decisions about what their children will do for school and how to keep them safe. I pray your continued blessings upon everyone in our community. We just thank you that we have a great neighborhood, Lord, and we're blessed, Lord. And we thank you for all the blessings that you have, Lord. We thank you that we stay safe even in the midst of a pandemic, Lord. We thank you that you just give us life abundantly, Lord. We thank you for everything you do, Lord. Lord, Heavenly Father, we just thank you for all the kids that are on school remote and are at school personally. We just pray that they are safe. We thank you for the neighborhood and all the kids. We pray that they will social distance and be safe. So Father God, please receive all of our prayers today. We continue, Father, to submit our heart, our mind, our soul and our spirit unto you. And we thank you, Father God, that the prayers of the righteous availeth much. So we end our prayer time today, once again, acknowledging that you are so good and your mercy endureth forever. In Jesus' name we pray and say, amen. 
Amen. Maybe you'll walk through your neighborhood praying for your neighbors. And I particularly love the prayer that the one young girl said for the students and the kids returning back to school because we're just seeing God move in the lives of kids as we are kind of a host site for the Park District Day Camp and kind of an e-learning center throughout the week. And so we're continuing just even praying by some of the names of the kids that we're learning and those families right here in the zone in our own neighborhood, just that God will do a good work and the church will be present in their life. Uh, I mentioned the intentional growth on our website, on our Butterfield webpage, which is now back up and running thanks to Kathy Fiala, Amy Moran, and a whole host of others. Uh, all of our opportunities to connect, to grow, and serve are there. They're also on the Butterfield update. So uh, if you're not getting the Butterfield update, which is uh, like each week we kind of send out the highlights for the week, you can always fill out a connect card. Or if you just said, I would love to talk with somebody about where and how I can connect and serve. Just give us your name, email, your contact info. You can drop it in the offering baskets, and it'd be our joy uh, to just serve you in any way. Um, next week, uh, uh, we're going to share in communion together. Uh, I have the opportunity. I'll, I'll preach the next two weeks here to close out our Jericho Road s series, but I have just missed uh, the receiving of communion. And so we're going to do it in a safe way. We've got prepackaged communion. I'll lead you through it. If you're at home, if you're not here with us next week, uh, still have your uh, juice and bread set aside because through our uh, live stream, we will also do it. So you can stay connected to the broader church family, even if you're not physically with us. But uh, that's always meaningful just to gather around the table and remember the love and grace, the mercy, the sacrifice that brings us life. So we hope to see you either here or on video next week. <clears throat> So I mentioned Sadie. We're, gonna, we're not going to receive communion. We're not going to pass the plates around. You can always give uh, online or you can text your gift. Um, we have these. I don't know if you know that we have these in the back. I've got all these papers. But we have little envelopes. If you have cash or check, you can put it in there. But we also have, uh, you know, we put up that screen, but sometimes it goes off quickly. Like we've got all the information on these cards. If you ever thought, you know, I might want to you know, text, or I can start giving online, or each week have it come out of my account. Um, the information's there, so that's all on the back, including a prayer card. Uh, it's our joy to pray with and for one another. And, uh, and as I said, our team and our prayer team receives these prayer requests every week, and we pray through them for the whole week. And so whether it's offering, whether it's a connect card, whether it's the prayer card, you can just drop those in the offering uh, boxes on your way out. <clears throat> But as I just think about the generosity of this crew, uh, I thought to Sadie, who I just dropped off in Phoenix, Arizona, Grand Canyon University. And so Sadie was on campus all of three days before I'm watching my life 360 and her phone is going, or the, the little dot is going north, like two and a half hours north of campus into the wilderness. And so now I'm like wondering, and so I'm trying to like politely... Um, text her because I don't want her to turn that feature off. I want to stalk her all four years. She's at college. And so I just get a picture and she goes, dad, there's a big group of us. We're camping in hammocks and we're going cliff jumping tomorrow. And I'm like, what? Like, can't you? We just spent like a thousand dollars to like get you the essentials for your dorm room. Like, can't you just live in that like for the first two years, not three days run into the thing. But, but what I love, right? And she is just lit up. I've watched her life has been formed by you. 
and by student ministry, Aaron Foster is bringing our message today and our Koinonia team and all the adults that have invested into our lives. And I was just thinking, this is why the local church matters. It matters in the lives of kids and students. It matters with the food pantry. By the way, we need 100 tubes of toothpaste by next Monday. <laughs> there you go. And no used ones. You can enjoy those at home. We want brand new tubes of toothpaste. Um, but I just think of the ministry of the food pantry. I think about what we're able to do with the schools. I think about the missions that we do. I think about how the local church matters in the lives of people, which is why, honestly, when we get to this part of our service where we get to talk about our generosity and how we serve together and how we give of our resources, I feel like we're talking about the greatest thing happening on planet Earth. And so continue to reflect, continue to expand your heart to the things of God. Um, and we just so appreciate how you're investing your life, all of it, into the church. And so I'm just, I'd love to lead us in prayer, and then Aaron will join us for our message. <clears throat> Father God, it is truly an honor and joy to reflect upon the love and grace and mercy you've poured into our lives, how your presence resides with us. And God, where your presence is, there's power. God, where your presence is, this sacrificial love that so represented Jesus, uh, it becomes flowing in and through us for the sake of others. And so God, we just thank you for the great privilege it is to be your church, <clears throat> to partner with you in ministry, to see ripples of life change and impact for your glory just go out through us into the lives of the communities where we go every day and even parts of the world that we'll never see. Thank you for how your church makes a difference in people's lives. So heart, God, continue to break our hearts, can help us to continue to pray for others, and God, help us to just invest into the greatest thing happening on earth, your kingdom. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. Just the other day, I was at Home Depot for probably the 10th time that day, which is maybe relatable for some of you who are like me and you like to try to do house projects, but you might not be as handy as a Tommy O'Neill or a Jim Fiala or a Chip or Joanna Gaines. Um, it was around 8.30 p.m., store closes at 9, and let me tell you, the last half an hour at Home Depot before the store closes is bustling. It's crazy. We've got forklifts everywhere, pulling pallets of merchandise out to be stocked the next morning. Um, we've got sh last-minute shoppers like myself rushing in to try to buy the correct size nails for the third time. We've got um, all of the employees bringing the, the outside merchandise back into the store for the evening. But the thing that blew me away the most was seeing all of the folks in the orange vests, you know, all the employees, the people that work there, scattering all across the parking lot to try to pull shopping carts back towards the store. Not only was I blown away by the sheer number of the armada of shopping carts that Home Depot has, but I could hardly believe the locations that these employees were finding shopping carts. 
There were obviously the carts in the cart corrals, but employees were pulling shopping carts from the middle of the PetSmart parking lot next door. There, was, um, there were shopping carts in the Burger King drive-through. I even saw an employee pushing three carts from the backside of the Home Depot store. It was just crazy, the locations that they were coming from. You see, these employees have to have a cart hunt for an hour every single night because there are people like me who just leave their cart where it's most convenient um, and then just move on their way. I tell you this story today not because this is a perfect fit for today's message, but it really identifies some of the same qualities within myself that we will see in the, the main players for today's passage. Where I leave my shopping cart may or may not have a correlation with how well I love my neighbor, but it certainly does reveal a lack of humility that rears its head in both of those situations. So let's do a quick recap. We are in week three of our Jericho Road series, and we've been outlining the parable of the Good Samaritan. So let's jump back and, and see how we've gotten here. You'll remember from week one that an expert in the law um, steps up to challenge and trick Jesus with a specific question. The lawyer asks Jesus, he says, what can I do to inherit eternal life? And we know that this question is in itself problematic because inheritance is not earned, but it's gifted. Jesus, knowing the man is very familiar with the law, responds by asking the man what it is that the law actually says. And he responds correctly by saying, love God and love your, love your neighbor. Jesus affirms the correct answer, but the lawyer also wants to justify the way that he lives in how he loves his neighbors, being the close relationships, his family members, the people who, who look like him, but not his neighbors, the, the people that are different races, different religions, people that are strangers to him. And so he asks Jesus, and who is my neighbor. And in that question, he's hoping for and, and likely expecting a list of neighbors of the Jewish faith, just a list of those people that he can be like, yeah, oh, those, those are the people that I love really well. Jesus sees the lawyer's desire to justify his lifestyle with his interpretation of the law, and he responds with the parable of the Good Samaritan. You see, the lawyer's approach is often similar to our own approach in living out our faith. Last week, Pastor Dan gave us some context for the story and shared some thoughts on the robber in the story. We know that the road from Jerusalem to Jericho is a very dangerous road, and not just because of the treacherous terrain, but also because the landscape provided a lot of cover for robbers who would wait for a singular traveler and jump them, steal from them, and leave them for dead. And in Jesus' story, just that happened. That was exactly what we see. Pastor Dan illustrates that many of us have had places in our lives where we ourselves have experienced robbery, be it physical theft, the loss of a friend or a loved one, the loss of rights, the loss of health, you name it, we've been robbed. And he also encouraged us to think about how for those who have experienced some type of robbery, it is often resourceful relationships that can help them find footing in their lives again or even for the first time. So how can we offer one another resourceful relationships? 
Now we're in week three. Let's go ahead and read the whole story from Scripture through today's verses, which will introduce to us the priest and the Levite. I encourage you to follow along with your Bibles if you have them, or follow along on the screens as I read from Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 32, and it says this. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He answered, "Um, I'm sorry, what is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You can kind of sense the smugness that he's answering that question in. You have answered correctly, said Jesus. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Now, before we move into the conversation of the two bypassers today, I want us all to do together one thing. Everybody, show me your index fingers. Index fingers, pointer fingers only, please. (laughs) Um, Now what we're going to do, love it, put them away. Put them away. Hide them, put them in your pockets, throw them in your purse, put them back in your holsters. We do not want to have those out today. We will not be pointing any fingers at anybody Let's only try to look at ourselves this morning. You see, often my temptation when I'm hearing from God's word is to say, oh, wow, I wish this person could really hear this sermon today. Or that person would really benefit from this piece of scripture that we're hearing from today. I wonder if any of you can relate to that sentiment. The problem is we're taking that same position that the lawyer's taking in this story. We're justifying ourselves. We're saying, I don't need to be convicted of this. Certainly not, but I know who does. So let's do, we do, what happens is we do a lot of work to keep ourselves out of the spotlight. So today, let's try to keep ourselves intentionally in the spotlight. Let's do our best to keep our pointer fingers away so that we can allow the spirit to come and convict and transform our hearts And we can't do that on our own. So would you guys pray with me quickly as we invite the Spirit to move in that space in us this morning. God, Holy Spirit, we invite you into our hearts, Lord. We know you are here in this space. But God, we pray this morning as we are hearing from your word, as we are reflecting on the attitudes of the lawyer and the the bypassers of this, this story, Lord, that you would soften our hearts to how you want us to act not how you want us to encourage others to act, Lord, but it starts with our hearts, transform our hearts, come into our lives today to help us to live more towards our neighbors. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So let's get into this. So on this dangerous road between Jerusalem and Jericho, we have a man lying beaten and bloodied, half dead on the side of the road. First, we have a priest come down the road, see the man, and pass him on the opposite side, keeping his appropriate social distance from the need. Next, we have a Levite traveling down and does the exact same thing, sees the needy man and moves past him without showing any concern, without showing any real 
compassion. These characters are not chosen randomly by Jesus. Contextually, these two characters being named as the priest and the Levite would have illuminated the excuses that they would make to justify ignoring the blatant need right in front of them and therefore pointed out those justifications and excuses to anyone who heard the story as well. We'll start with the priest. All of the priests in the Hebrew tradition stemmed back to the tribe of Levi, but more specifically, they were in the lineage of Moses' brother Aaron. Priests were considered societally to be the paradigm of holy people. They were the ones that everyone looked to uh, as a model of living a life of faith. They talked the talk, they walked the walk. The priests knew and practiced all of the Hebrew laws, and the the laws were the code of conduct for life as, as someone who worshiped the Hebrew God. Not only did the priests practice that law, that code of conduct to a T, but they were also responsible for determining if Hebrew people were clean or unclean by the law. Folks who were sick or who had eaten from specific animals or who had made contact with a dead body, all of these had to go to the priest who could perform the processes and give guidance to restore those individuals back to uh, cleanliness. In their communities also, the priests held a high level of leadership responsibilities. In tandem with the government leaders, priests were often involved in major decision-making processes as a voice of the spiritual leader of the community. And on top of all of that, the priests held the most important duties in the temple. They were in charge of carrying out the liturgy, performing the sacrifices and sacraments, praying on behalf of everyone in the community, handling the finances and offerings and so on and so forth. You can imagine that the priests were some of the most revered members of the community, both for their spiritual example, but also for their value to that society. Now we take a look at the Levites, and um, as, the name, as their name states, they are also stemming from the tribe of Levi, regardless of the specific lineage. The tribe of Levi long ago was placed in charge of the temple. And while those within the lineage of Aaron were set aside as the priests, the rest of the Levites still played an important role in society and within the temple as well. The Levites had a similar knowledge and reverence for the law as the priests, although they likely offered themselves a little bit more grace in practicing it. There there was a a pride within their role in the religious fabric of the society. And while they wouldn't rake as highly as the priests would in the social hierarchy, they would still be a model of good behavior for everyone in the community. Furthermore, the Levites had an important organizational role in the temple as well. They were the people that were entrusted to make sure things were running smoothly in the temple. They were the gatekeepers, the singers, the assistants in the liturgy. They had administrative and operational functions within the temple. And so to sum it all up in a little bit more modern times, the priests were similar to today's very prominent pastors. And some highly invested lay leaders, volunteers, elders would be a fair representation for a Levite. Now, because he is an expert in the law, the man receiving this story from Jesus would be very familiar with all that information. It would make sense. Um, And the intentionality that Jesus chose those characters with would not be lost on him. You see, the nuances that they provide the story would, provide, would prove to point out the justifications and the excuses that the lawyer would make for himself had he found himself in a situa- similar situation. So let's go through some of those excuses. 
The priest, we know, was a strict adherent to the law, and so when he saw the beaten man left for dead on the side of the Jericho Road, he realized that if the man had already passed away and he went to help and he touched the body, he would be considered unclean and unable to fulfill his responsibilities in the temple for weeks until he could be clean again. The priest saw the opportunity to love his neighbor right in front of him, but he said to himself, I can't sacrifice that time for that man. I have my priestly responsibilities to attend to. In other words, I don't have the time right now to worry about that. You can almost imagine the lawyer, as he's hearing the story from Jesus, just continuing the priest's justification in his own head. Well, on top of that, if the man's already dead, what more can the priest do to help him? The Levite, coming down the road upon seeing the needy man, would naturally have a little bit less concern with the law as the priest, but his thoughts would instead go to his own physical safety, his own well-being. It would not be unheard of either by fact or by fable that robbers would set up traps for passing travelers on the road to Jericho. By placing a beaten man on the side of the road or having a partner act as a half-dead victim, robbers would hope to lure people to letting down their guard for the attack. The Levite would understandably be passing by saying, I don't want to end up in the same position as them. I'm not going to sacrifice my well-being for, for that person right now. And then for both of them, the priest and the Levite, as they're heading down, it would make sense for us to, to assume um, that they are thinking as they pass the victim, well, he brought this upon himself anyway. This is the road to Jericho. Knowing the danger of that road that they were on and intentionally and conveniently ignoring their own hypocrisy to justify the mindset, the priest and the Levite would point their finger at the victim for making the trek alone. It's just too dangerous. Of course that's going to happen. You see, Jesus intentionally chooses two of society's good guys to illustrate to the lawyer and to us the dangers of these excuses. Even the paradigm of holy people passed by the opportunity to love his neighbor. Out of our own lack of humility and lack of compassion towards the needs of others, we make the same excuses all the time. How many times have you had the opportunity to love a brother or sister and meet a need, but thought to yourself, I would love to help, but I can't sacrifice that time right now. I don't have the money to pay for, for the meal right now. I don't want to risk getting pulled into their situation. I can't give them my relational or emotional capital because I have so much going on in my own life right now that I need to take care of first. Essentially saying, I can't make a sacrifice for them. Or maybe we look at our neighbor's situa situation as irrevocable. It's over, right? The man on the side of the road is already dead, and our justifications are there's no hope anyway. It's out of my hands. The problem is too big for me, just one person, to have any sort of effect. Basically, a statement of there's really nothing that I can do for them. And for one more of the many excuses that these bypassers are making that we also make, an easy and dangerous trap for us to fall in is to look at our neighbor's need and put the full responsibility of the cause and the repair on that person alone. We look at the way that somebody has lived their life 
or had a history of mistakes, or we base our judgment on stereotypes of that person, and we say, well, they brought it upon themselves. It's kind of up to them to figure it out. It's theirs to worry about. Now, I mentioned that I want us to be looking at ourselves as we have this conversation today, so let's, let's try that right now. How many of us have made this, these excuses? I can't make a sacrifice for them. There's really nothing that I can do for their situation. Well, they brought it upon themselves. It's not mine to deal with. How many of us have been just like the priest and the Levite, living as someone of faith and yet passing by our brother or sister lying half dead on the side of the road? As we highlight these excuses that the lawyer would have been using to justify the priest, the Levite, and subsequently himself, we realize that these positions that we hold in regards to our neighbor lack any sort of kingdom mindset. And it's clear right there in the very language that we use to make our excuses. In her book, Disunity in Christ, Christina Cleveland shares that us and them language can be and is problematic and damaging for unity. We affirm that scriptures say that we are all children of God and that we are all part of the same body of Christ. And yet when we are faced with another part of the body in need, our language becomes, I cannot make a sacrifice for them. I cannot do anything for their situation. We default into creating what Cleveland calls in-groups in which we place ourselves and the people that we are like and that we are comfortable with and out-groups in where, where we put strangers, people who look or act or live differently than we do and the people that we can't comfortably meet a need. This tendency of in-groups and out-groups only goes to further strengthen our perspective and our attitude and our love for our in-groups and further ostracizes and isolates our out-groups to the point where we don't even see the need of our neighbor as, they pass, as we pass by. So how is your kingdom vision fogged by the in-groups and the out-groups that you have divided in your life? How much more does humility take center stage for you in the in-groups than it does in the out-groups? What if instead of us and them language, our language is more inclusive of the truth that we are one body, we are all neighbors, that we are all children of God, brothers and sisters in him? What does meeting needs with a kingdom mindset like that look like? I want to reflect on a poem together. So as I do so, why don't you go ahead and close your, close your eyes and I will read this aloud for us. I was hungry and you formed a humanities club to discuss my hunger. I was imprisoned and you crept off quietly to your chapel to pray for my release. I was naked and in your mind you debated the morality of my appearance. I was sick and you knelt and thanked God for your health. I was homeless, and you preached to me of the shelter of the love of God. I was lonely, and you left me alone to pray for me. You seem so holy, so close to God, but I am still very hungry, lonely, cold, and still in pain. Go ahead and open your eyes. As I read this, 
I feel an underlying discomfort, and maybe you do as well. We recognize the structure of that poem from how Jesus described the least of these, but there's something lacking. It doesn't feel resolved. The needs aren't met. I think there's a discomfort because this poem illustrates in me at least a familiar attitude or response. I see myself truthfully in that poem. Just like the expert in the law was seeking to justify himself and in the same way that the priest and the Levite made excuses to ignore a neighbor dying on the side of the road, we often convince ourselves that theoretical conversations, debates, and prayer are enough of a response to, to, to meet the need of the beaten person on our path. We think to ourselves, well, I can't sacrifice for them, but I'll bring this story up in my small group this week. Or I can't really do anything for their situation, but I'll definitely be praying for them. Or I'll count my blessings. Or at least I feel compassion for them. Theologian William Barclay says, compassion, to be real, must issue in deeds. In other words, the true emotion of compassion is always accompanied by action. Because Jesus' words were, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you did what invited me in. A need was presented and that need was directly acted upon. What are the needs of your neighbors? What are the needs of your neighbors, our brothers and sisters that you see and have not acted towards meeting? Or where has your response to that need lacked a real compassion with action, lacked a kingdom mindset, or lacked the true love for the neighbor that we are called to? Unfortunately, there would have been a decent number of people in Jesus' original audience to this story that would have been unsurprised and actually probably expected the priest and the Levite to pass right past the need. Just like today, there seems to be a lot of, there was a, a lot of hypocrisy seen within the religious community back then. We often isolate ourselves from being a part of the cause of the hypocrisy within the faith community today by doing two things. One, justifying our actions, and two, pointing our fingers to those Christians who might be a little bit more hypocritical than we are. Justification and us-versus-them us mentality. Next week, we are going to see, we'll start to see the transformation that God can do in our relationships and in our society when we adopt that kingdom mindset in serving those around us. And not to steal the thunder of the Samaritan, but instead to give us inspiration to see what can happen when, when we, how God can use our relationships um, when we serve our neighbor. I want to share a quick story about a church in the Dominican Republic. In the heart of the colonial district of Santa, Santa Domingo, there's a church that we have partnered with in high school ministry through uh, mission projects for almost 20 years called Iglesia Comunitaria Cristiana. ICC, as it is affectionately known, is fully focused on meeting the needs of its neighbors in the colonial district. When the homeless population in that area started to rise, ICC began feeding its neighbors with a daily soup kitchen that now serves hundreds of people weekly. 
to meet the needs of those neighbors who couldn't access any health care and were living on the street. ICC built a health clinic and established relationships with local doctors and American hospitals to serve and treat the people in that community. As families began to lament the lack of quality education in the area, ICC started just a small kindergarten that has grown exponentially, and they have just recently received um, their licensing to become a full K-12 through school in order to meet the demand from their wait list. Finances, insured stability, and church growth are all a second priority for the church leadership to meeting the needs of the neighbor. You see, since they have started, God has used that kingdom mindset in the leadership of ICC to transform individual lives, but also transform the community through the kingdom focus of ICC. And so today, as you guys run off to do your Sunday grocery shopping this afternoon, where are you going to leave your shopping cart? In week one of the series, we were challenged, like the expert in the law, to consider how exclusive our list of neighbors really is, really to confront our in-group. And the rubber will meet the road this week or next when we observe a neighbor in need who we may have not considered to be our neighbor before. How will you engage? Will you fall into your own comfort and follow the lead of the priest and the Levite? Will you justify your action with, or will you justify your inaction with excuses that only protect yourself? Will you be a bypasser? Or will you invite God into the moment to allow him to begin transformation? Let's pray. God, we are humbled before you today. We are humbled to do your work. Lord, we pray that We can confront the in-groups. We can confront our justifications. We can confront our excuses. We can confront our inaction. We can confront our lack of love for our neighbor today. Lord, and the good news is that you are there to help us through that. God, that is not an easy process. But Lord, we call upon you. We call upon you to give us the strength to look at ourselves with a kingdom eye to see the places where we can look outward more accurately, where we can love the people around us. God, in our hearts today and this week, illuminate for us the places where there needs to be change, where there needs to be transformation, so that our first step, our first priority in recognizing need is to have compassion, true compassion, to take action and meet that need. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we close on our service, would you please stand with us? And let's sing this song, one of my favorite songs. And let's just lift up his name, Hosanna in the highest.
will never look at a shopping cart the same. Uh, and I'm already feeling the guilt because I know what I should do. But the mischievous side of me hears the words of the Apostle Paul that says, sin, seizing the opportunity, forms every kind of evil desire in my mind. And so I'm thinking, like, what's the most outrageous place I could leave a shopping cart? So I'm going to go back and listen one more time to the message, and hopefully God will reveal what it is I'm supposed to do. Uh, Don't forget, uh, sign up for worship next week, communion together. We finally get to look at this good Samaritan and what makes him so good, and so I'm excited to share that with you. Um, Friends, as you go, uh, we prayed uh, as a worship team before this, just the sense that we feel like we're continuing being pushed to the edge, the anger, the anxiety, the depression, there's just, it seems to be building, and and I think we're in for a season of it continuing to build. I pray that you have and will receive and we'll rest in the grace and peace that comes through our Lord Jesus Christ. And as you leave here, don't just rest in it, but leave with eyes wide open that just maybe there is one person that's going to come across your path, that you have the opportunity to not just wish them well, but maybe you will take a step to meet a need as Aaron challenged us today. Friends, go in peace with eyes wide open. Bless you. Bye-bye.